this morning, we are going to we are going to get into the situation of Thomas for a little bit. And so I wonder, I just wonder if if those of you, if there are those of you who uh, have 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 heard this story before or have thought ever about this character Thomas in Scripture, uh, what what are your initial kind of reactions or even your kind of current, um, I don't know, reflections or, or impressions of Thomas? What do you think about Thomas? Can you put it in the chat for me? Do you like Thomas? Do you appreciate Thomas? What have you heard about Thomas? I would love to know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yes, brave and relatable. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Chris and Co. say we are Thomas most days of the week. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Thomas does not want to be fooled. Interesting. <laughs> cautious, Jonelle. That's a very interesting word. Cautious, cautious. Mm-hmm. Not really having, not really thought about Thomas. Yep. Who could stick their finger into such a hole? Look, y'all, in the orthodox imagery of Thomas, literally his finger has blood dipped on it, okay? Like, that is the sign of Thomas. <laughs> that when he touched that mark, it was bloody interesting because it probably wasn't but you know what we're, we're we're working with some imagery here um yes 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 jazzy yes yes jazzy thank you for preaching 70 percent of my sermon in your comment um i'll just start playing the post-sermon song now thank you very much um <laughs> it's I'm not lying, y'all. Um, if you need a Spark Notes version of what I'm about to say, just scroll up a little bit and just read Jazzy's comment. Um, we are in the book of John, chapter 20, which happens to be um, the, the resurrection chapter of John. Each gospel has a resurrection chapter. It's like the beginning of a new chapter, the resurrection stuff. And so that's where we are in John's account of Jesus's life. And so at the beginning, you get Mary Magdalene, who goes to the tomb. Once again, it was the ladies just saying, I will never not say it, okay? That it was Mary Magdalene who goes to the tomb and then discovers it's empty and then happens upon Peter, who goes there with another disciple. And then they discover it's also empty. Uh, but they go back and tell their friends, and then they go back and tell their friends and then go into a room and lock the door. Do you notice that? They go into a room after they find out he's not there, and they lock the door. <laughs> then Jesus reveals himself to Mary. Then Jesus finds his way through that locked door um, and reveals himself to the disciples with that resurrection greeting, peace be with you. 
But we learn in verse 24 that Thomas wasn't there when that happened. Thomas wasn't there. Where was Thomas? Where was Thomas? They were all together except for Judas. Where was Thomas? Interesting. So before we go any further, I just want to uh, set, the, set the scene for us here, okay? And I want, to, I want us to remember a little bit of what resurrection is and what it means, okay? So Jesus, our friend Jesus, became a friend to those on the underside of systems of oppression and restriction, those on the underside of a society destined and designed to subjugate those who seem weak, those who are unable, those who don't have enough. And Jesus became an enemy to the empire and the blasphemer to his own ancestral faith community. And then that empire and that faith community, though literally having nothing in common and, and continually in sort of argument with each other, find a reason to agree on one thing, which is that Jesus should die. So they collude. They get together. They do, they fabricate a justification for the execution of Jesus, and they succeed. The temple leadership hold a sham trial. The agents of the empire lazily and violently uphold this ridiculous verdict, and then they publicly execute Jesus. They did it. And then he woke up. And then he woke up. They killed him. He woke up. He was dead, and then now he's alive. He walked out of the tomb. Right? These institutions did their best to tamp down this threat to their power and legitimacy, and then by the power of the Spirit of God, he delegitimized both of them in a weekend. He got up. This is literally unbelievable, okay? So now, now we encounter Thomas, and Thomas's friends have been like, look, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas is like, uh-uh, no, mm, mm-mm, no, you haven't. You have not seen the Lord. You have not seen the Lord. But if we can get into Thomas's mind a little bit and heart and body and experience just for a minute, maybe we can remember what Thomas might have seen. Right? Thomas might remember that Jesus said that all of this would happen this way. And Thomas right, remember not believing these words because A, he had no category for Jesus being executed like a criminal, and B, he had no category for anyone rising from the dead. We might see Thomas as someone who definitely remembers the sight of his spiritual leaders betraying him and betraying his community, a colliding and colluding with the Roman Empire, in a force of violence to ensure that their movement would be canceled. And if they did that, if these two powerful systems came together, then surely the movement is canceled, right? We might be encountering a Thomas who would remember feeling like um, essentially 
that it's over. That it's done. A Thomas who is afraid. A Thomas who is afraid. So to suggest, as his friends and disciples have, that Jesus is alive would mean that Jesus was telling the truth. It would mean that the trauma that he saw and experienced and ran away from isn't actually the end of the story like he thought. It would mean, in the words of the prophet Kirk Franklin, it ain't over. It ain't over. That's strange, right? Like, that would be a strange place to be. Let's return to Thomas's words again. I'll read them for you in verse 24, 25, excuse me. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wound left by the nails, and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. I won't believe. That word believe. What an interesting word that Thomas uses to describe his orientation to this moment, belief. There are four accounts of Jesus's life in our scriptures, and each of them has sort of a context and a style. And John is a strange one. John likes to tell these stories, but not in like chronological order, but sort of in a thematic order. And one of the themes that John works with throughout his biography of Jesus is this theme of belief. Belief. You see, those of us that have been in the Western space, we are trained to think about belief from a rational and intellectual perspective. Beliefs in our space are logical conclusions that we hold, usually because someone told us to hold them. Or you argued with someone and you either formed or reinforced your own position, or you changed your mind. You changed your mind. The Greek set of words that um, are related to this word belief are words that connote trust. Trust. To believe in Jesus is to place your trust in Jesus, and trust, my friends, is not particularly and only rational. Trust is relational. Trust is in our bodies. When we trust someone, it leads us into a certain set of actions. A trust fall is when you look at those people and you say, okay, I'm going to trust you and therefore fall. You do something with trust. Belief is in our connections. Belief is in our bodies, friends. So then let's look at Thomas again. See, Thomas wants to touch the scarred body of Jesus because if you are telling Thomas that Jesus is alive, he wants to connect again. Thomas has been shaken. 
Thomas has been shaken by the arrest, the sham trial, the torture, and the crucifixion, and the shame of Jesus. Sure, Jesus might have said that all this stuff would happen, but when you're in it, it feels different, and it doesn't matter, because all that matters is that your teacher, your mentor, the best thing that ever happened to you is being destroyed slowly and quickly before your eyes. At the end of it all, Jesus is gone. Jesus has left. Jesus has left Thomas. The one thing, the one sort of dynamic that Thomas thought would end the suffering and the oppression around him is gone. Thomas, sure, may be expressing doubt, but it is a doubt fueled by abandonment and isolation and utter confusion. So when Thomas says, unless I see the marks in his nails, put my finger in the wound, put my hands into his side, I won't believe. Thomas is not expressing disbelief in the other disciples' words. Thomas is saying, I am abandoned. I feel abandoned and betrayed by Jesus. So if Jesus is indeed back somehow, I need to know. I need to see it. I need to see him. Thomas sounds like someone who is abandoned. Thomas's cry is a cry for presence. And Jesus comes. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting that Jesus already came, did this whole thing, said some profound things that we're not even going to unpack today, and then eight days later, he comes back? Eight days later, he comes back to the same place. He already showed the other ten the wounds. And Thomas said, me too. I got to see him. It's not enough that you saw him. I got to see him. And then Jesus comes back eight days later. Does he come back just for Thomas? I don't know. I don't know. So anyway, Thomas has this experience, this one-on-one -on -one experience with Jesus in the midst of all the disciples. He, Jesus says, come, see, see the wounds, touch it, put your hands on there. And Thomas does, and he says, my Lord and my God. What a confession. And then after this confession, Jesus replies, do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. Now, let us pause, okay? Because some of us are used to being told that verse 29 is an obvious rebuke of Thomas's doubt and unbelief, okay? Some of us are used to hearing that, which is an easy conclusion to come if you interpret Thomas's desires as bad, or if you possess any kind of disembodied theology that reflexively judges or prejudges every human desire and emotion. Then, of course, of course, this is just some sort of rebuke of Thomas's unbelief. But I'm going to invite us to pause that impulse for a moment. 
and I just want to sort of turn the rock another, another sort of a, at a different angle. And I want to invite you to do this as well. Here's some things I want us to consider. First, we are in Eastertide. Eastertide marks this period of 40 days where Jesus reveals himself to his disciples. This is an actually historically unique time that Thomas and others got to experience Jesus, touch his body that was once being executed. No one else in history will be able to see and touch the physical evidence of all of this coordinated imperial violence. Certainly not you and me. So to have seen this and to have touched Jesus represents a closeness to Jesus, both in space and in time. But Jesus says, blessed, happy are those who don't see and yet believe, which actually tells me that Jesus intends for what has been experienced by these disciples to be experienced beyond that particular space and beyond that particular time. You see, I'm reminded of those confessional words that sometimes we sing and say, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. You see, Jesus in this moment is actually seeing into the past and seeing into the future and gathering up all of the faithful into his body, into his life, and saying, I am bringing all of this together. I am recapitulating all that has been and is and will be that experiences my resurrection life, gathering us up into one family, creating for us the opportunity to say, these are our ancestors, giving our faith, giving our, 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 our experience of God this, this eternal aspect, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. So I think about the way that Jesus is sort of connecting us to Thomas in that moment. But I'm also thinking about Thomas in particular. And I don't know if any of you know about Thomas as a historical figure. But I'm just going to tell you a little story because it is widely believed that a few years after he had this experience, Thomas ended up in a place called Kerala. He ended up in a place called Kerala in AD 54, and Thomas told that story. He told the stories of resurrection. He told the stories of Jesus's life and death and resurrection and ascension to other folk, thus establishing what continues to be one of the oldest enduring faith traditions that we have in our faith, the Martoma Church. It's still here, friends. 
You see, Thomas took those words, and it wasn't a rebuke, friends. It was an invitation. Thomas, yes, you got to touch and feel and see all of this. What are you going to do? How will you tell this story to those who might not be able to touch me and experience me in this moment, but need to know that I am real and risen anyway? How will you tell the story? Where will you go? Where and where might I send you? Might you say yes? Thomas spent 20 years in that region before it was called India, friends. <laughs> he spent 20 years planting seven churches, igniting a spark of faith before he was executed for being a truth teller and a storyteller about the risen Christ. Friends, there are a couple things that I want us to kind of dwell on as we look at Thomas's experience of the risen Lord. The first is this. If it is appropriate for you in this life, in this time, I want to invite you to give yourself some room to have a crisis in belief. Give yourself some room to have a crisis in belief. I mean, look, we've already talked about it in the chat. We've seen it here. Thomas's reaction to this story about Jesus is completely appropriate. Thomas's reaction to this is one that says, no, 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 no. I know what I saw. I saw my friend. I saw my mentor. I saw hope be broken. I saw it. I am struggling. I don't know where Jesus is. I don't know what Jesus is about in this moment. I don't know how to wrap my arms around it. And I certainly don't know how to wrap my head and my mind and my body around the fact that you are telling me he is here. And I certainly am not going to just believe the, that, that everything has changed because you said so. I need to see it. I need to see it. Friends, when we feel the brunt of the systems of this world organizing to oppress and detain and overwhelm us with evil, when we feel and experience suffering and grief, right, just like belief is in our bodies, those things are in our bodies as well. And when those experiences also contain unanswered prayers, unmet promises from God, or even happen in the context of spaces or people who say they represent God, a crisis in our relationship to Jesus is normal. It's healthy. It's important. It is a sign in our bodies that says something is not right. And the question is not, how do I make it better? The question is, what is not right? 
What is not right? But you know what is right, friends? What is right is to make and take space to express that Christ assembly. And you know what else is right? Is when somebody says to you, don't worry, it's all getting better, for you to say, show me. Show me how. I want to see. I want to put my hands in this restored thing. I want to touch it and feel it. You say that justice is coming, show me. You say that healing is on its way, show me. I want to see it. That is our bodies crying out to experience renewal. That isn't doubt. That isn't unbelief. That's called desire. And it's holy. Give yourself some space to put into words, to bring to the present whatever crisis in belief you are having because it is holy. And I will note that the disciples are not found to have sat Thomas down for some sort of unbelief intervention in this moment. They just receive the words. They just receive them. The other thing I want to highlight for us is Thomas as, as, as an ambassador, right? Because Thomas has this crisis. It's clear. He has not seen. Maybe they saw, but he didn't see. And then he saw. And then he saw. And once he saw, his life was never the same. That confession anchored the rest of Thomas's life. That confession literally changed history. It changed history. It started a movement. It started a movement. Right at the verse right after this whole thing, the writer John says this. He says, these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing you will have life in his name. Right? It's the author's intention that in hearing these stories of resurrection, that they would center their bodies and their relating around Jesus the one who the prophecies have anticipated, and the one who exposes and overcomes the tyranny of empires and emperors who claim that they are the Son of God. Thomas, after seeing this, says, my Lord and my God. He is now fundamentally reoriented. His life is shifted. He knows what he must, what he must do. He knows that he needs to carry in his body this story. He knows that he needs to live this story. However God might invite him to do it. Have you seen the slices and the glimpses of resurrection life? Have you seen it? 
Have you, like Thomas, maybe in the midst of a moment of crisis, had God come and show you what this resurrection life might look like? And if so, if you've seen a slice, if you've seen a glimpse, then I wonder, friends, what is our confession? And what is our invitation? What are the words that rise up in us when we consider the ways that we have seen resurrection life? And what is the invitation that we might receive just as Thomas received it to be storytellers about a Jesus who did in fact die and then got up and walked out and revealed himself. It occurs to me that I am here because folks believed in a resurrected life, a resurrected life in which tyranny in this country shouldn't be. I am here because of the folks that fought for freedom for my ancestors, the folks that believed in abolition long before abolition was even considered to be a good idea. What slice have you tasted of the goodness of God? What does it mean to tell that story? Um, we are going to, I'm going to give us a minute in silence. I'll give us a minute of silence and reflection. I'll sing a bit of a reflection and then we will sing um, a resurrection hymn together. Um, and I like this hymn in particular because it gives us the opportunity um, to engage with both Jesus's resurrection and also our feelings around it, how we orient ourselves to it. So let's take a moment. Let's take a moment to breathe, to consider how God might be revealing God's self to us in this moment. 